What's going on, you beautiful people? Welcome to the second episode of Reconnect. Today's amazing guest is Omar K. Rambert, Pepperdine Class of 2017. Omar is currently a first-year litigation associate in entertainment law with his firm, Ballard Spar. As of recently, Omar has received his JD from UCLA School of Law, one of the most prestigious law schools in the nation. While at UCLA, he served as an editor for both the National Black Law Journal and the UCLA Review, where he will be publishing his very first article titled The Absent Black Father, Race, the Welfare Child Support System, and the Cyclical Nature of Fatherlessness. You can read Omar's article within the coming months at uclalawreview.org. With his time at Pepperdine, Omar was an active member of the Black Student Association, the Student Programming Board, where he served on the Music Committee, and Sigma Phi Epsilon Fraternity, where he served as president in 2016. He received his degree in film studies with a critical media emphasis, as well as a certificate in conflict resolution with Pepperdine. So without further ado, Omar, welcome to the show. Omar, thank you for joining the show. Welcome to Reconnect. Uh, second guest, very grateful to have you. And um, and just wanted to kind of go over, I mean, I guess your background, where you hail from, where you grew up, and how you got to Pepperdine. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Um, so how I got to Pepperdine was a, a long journey for sure. You know, I originally was born in California, Southern California, in fact, um, Woodland Hills, and lived there until I was about five, and then family relocated to New Jersey, uh, which is obviously completely different from L.A., uh, different weather, different vibe. And, you know, I grew up on the East Coast. And so when I, I had the moment to, you know, come back to, to the West Side for college, that was, you know, the path that I chose. And so, you know, I, I applied to pretty much schools only in New York and L.A., um, but I knew that L.A. was home for me um, just because, you know, I, I missed uh, the, the feeling of being in Los Angeles. I knew that that's where I wanted to set my roots in. And so I uh, applied to Pepperdine got in and and the rest is history when you i guess applied to pepperdine did anything else when you consider other schools like what drew you more to pepperdine versus like i would say ucla usc maybe the other um cal state schools and stuff like that for sure so it's funny you know the the first college i wanted to go to was pepperdine i can't really tell you why um i i started looking at colleges back in i believe sixth grade um i knew i wanted to be an entertainment lawyer from a young age and so um, back in, in middle school, that's really when I just started taking the steps to see what that looked like for me. Um, and so, you know, looked at Pepperdine and I, I think what drew me at that point, at least was the campus, how beautiful it was. And, um, you know, I, I grew up going to, uh, Christian, uh, private schools all my life for the most part. And so I think that really was just a, a sense of familiarity for me. Um, but when it came down to, you know, actually choosing um, you know, which college to go to when the, the decision was in front of me, Pepperdine really was, was just offering everything that I wanted in a college experience. Um, it came down to NYU and Pepperdine for me mainly. Uh, and I knew that NYU didn't have a campus feel really. It's like you, you live in an apartment you walk out and you're literally, you know, on the streets of New York, have to walk down the street to your, you know, a random building where your class is. It's just not the, the campus environment that I wanted. Um, and then my family had been planning to relocate uh, to Los Angeles anyway. And so being close to family was was important for me. And it, it offered the major that I, I wanted. So I majored in film studies and uh, being able to, you know, pursue that major was something that really mattered to me because I knew that 
I wanted to to major in something that was passion of mine, um, something that I was actually interested in. And so that's really, you know, what went into the decision to, to you know, go to Pepperdine. And so when you're at a Pepperdine, how, how did you experience like what you do kind of go over the basis from freshman year to soft, I mean, to senior year and graduating after like, how was your Pepperdine experience? What you do? What you accomplish? And I feel like that track, I mean, knowing you that that um, track record is, is is pretty long here, but just like, I guess, like, um, give us the highlights and the details of kind of like how you enjoyed it, what you did and kind of what you like absorbed and got from the whole Pepperdine experience. Sure thing. So Pepperdine, I will say, is uh, definitely a university where it's it's in your own hands to make the most of it right and so i knew from the the start that's something that i wanted to do um coming in i didn't really know what organizations i would join or what that would look like for me but uh one of my closest friends uh, blake clayton uh, in my dorm he had a brother that was uh, in greek life and sig up actually um and so you know he he asked me like hey um you know why don't you come you know to to uh the uh, the the week I'm blanking rush, rush, week, rush yeah. week. there we go it's been a while <laughs> but he was like why don't you come out to rush for you know just a good time you know at the very least you get to you know meet some cool guys and get some you know free dinner or something like that I'm mm-hmm. um, just have a good time and so I, I joined him and I fell in love with just the the group of guys and and what SIG up was you know offering just a, a chance to really join a brotherhood and be a part of something that was bigger than myself. And so uh, joining, you know, the fraternity was um, one of the best decisions I made while at Pepperdine. And it, it had the biggest impact on me, you know, while there as well. Um, I went on to become president of the fraternity, um, which was, you know, an, an amazing opportunity. Uh, number one, because the guys were, you know, trusting me to uh, really be the face of the fraternity in, in that regard. and and leading them into the next chapter um, of the fraternity's existence. But also, you know, being uh, one of the few Black people in the fraternity and, and being entrusted with that, you know, you I really felt a sense of honor in, in, in that capacity. And so, you know, that really was something that I took seriously, something that I enjoyed. Um, but, you know, in terms of other things that, that I did while at Pepperdine, uh, I was a part of the student programming board, uh, the music committee in, in particular. And so with that entail, it was playing the spring concert, um, battle of the bands, coffee houses, all of that, all the traditional Pepperdine things that you you think of, you know, that the board uh, has to offer in terms of its its music um, side of things. That's really what I was uh, was help, helping to lead. And so the board and SIGAP are really like my two main uh, contributions to Pepperdine's campus life, I will say. In terms of other things, um, I stayed abroad in Florence during my sophomore year. I was there for a semester, uh, then came back uh, to Malibu, and I honestly fell in love with Italy. Um, is Florence is my favorite city in the world to this day. I've been back a, a few times since then, just because I, I can't get enough of it. I was supposed to go back last year, but you know, COVID, uh, COVID had different plans. <laughs> but you know, I'm. Yeah, you know, studying abroad was another big decision that I made, and I truly enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, man, that that's pretty much the 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 short version of the gist of everything. Exactly, you know, I I tried out for diff in my senior year, and I mm. ended up getting it, but uh, turned it down just because I knew that there was no way I could 
do that to you know my my best ability and handle my law school applications and and that whole process just because you know that's both are very time consuming mm-hmm. um and so that's one thing that you know I wish I could have been able to do I I love dancing I love uh you know the moments I got to dance you know with Sigep in terms of all the philanthropies we were participating in like especially what's how you uh, think you can dance right that was still exactly yeah exactly man um but yeah that's that's the the short version right and then um so you go into film studies, correct? Like that was your major. You were double majoring in, it was film studies and, or no, it was film studies and emphasis in, and I forgot the emphasis, but. Uh, yeah. So I was a film studies major with a critical media emphasis. Right. And um, so would you kind of compare, like, have you been always planning on doing that and getting into the film industry? Kind of how you planned on getting the Pepperdine from the sixth grade, you know, like kind of like varying on your choices or were you, would you say you um found that along the way through like, um, your college experience at Pepperdine? I definitely knew from the start. So uh, just to, to provide some background context, um, I knew I wanted to be, be an entertainment lawyer just because my family had been in the entertainment industry. My stepdad was a songwriter. Um, and I knew that I wasn't good enough to sing. Um, I wasn't good enough to act, but I was always a smart kid. And so I knew that I want to do something behind the scenes, right? And so it really just came down to being an entertainment lawyer for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when going to uh, Pepperdine and deciding when to major, you know, when you apply and stuff, I was just looking at the different offerings that they had and um, what I what I was most passionate about, right? And I knew that the traditional route to be a lawyer is, you know, you major in political science, and you know, you might not actually be interested in that, but people say that best prepare you, best prepares you for law school, right? Um, I didn't really care about that. I just knew that there was no way I would be able to succeed how I wanted in college if I was majoring in something that I wasn't actually interested in. And so just looking at the different um, majors that Pepperdine had, film studies just really popped out to me and, and came off the page. And I knew that obviously they had two different tracks, right? Critical media, but then also uh, film production and film production wouldn't necessarily get me the skills that I wanted to build while in college, just because that wouldn't really be transferable in terms of what I wanted to do. Uh, but in terms of you know the critical media emphasis that entailed a lot of watching films and analyzing them, you know, writing research papers uh, and looking at the the ideologies and the things that go into you know making a film, and so that's something that I felt I would be interested in, but it also prepared me for what a lawyer does, right? At the end of the day, you're analyzing things and then your critical thinking skills have to be um, amazing. And I knew that that major would help me do that. And so that's really just what went into it, but I knew from the start. So, okay. So you would pretty much say that it helped you along the way to get to being, to becoming an entertainment, um, entertainment lawyer pretty much, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And then going into kind of post-grad, what were your thoughts running up through senior year? Like, what was going through your mind? How did you plan for your future? How did you know that obviously you knew you were going to be in entertainment law, but I guess how did you plan it out? How did you goal set? How did you structure your whole strategy to one, get in, take the LSAT, go to law school, and then proceed on from there? Uh, yeah, it was, it was tough to be honest. You know, Pepperdine at the time, I'm not sure if it's different now, but they didn't really have anyone uh, that was a guidance counselor for that build of um, for that profession, right? And so 
you know, me being a first generation college student, I didn't really have like a lawyer in the family I could ask for advice. Um, and there was really no one at Pepperdine that I could go to either. And so it really was just a matter of me doing my own research, uh, figuring out the schools I would apply to, figuring out, you know, what goes into preparing for the LSAT, right? Because it's not like a, a test, like the SAT, where you're learning these things already. And so it's just a matter of fine tuning those skills. It's like, no, you actually have to learn, you know, a, an entire different way of thinking. Um, and so it was just doing my own research in terms of what that would look like. And um, I, I started that process in my junior year, just because I knew that uh, the LSAT prep would be uh, during the summer prior to my senior year. And then I took the LSAT actually during rush week, uh, <laughs> which wow. is crazy. During the fall? Right. During the fall, which is crazy because I was president during that time. And so it was yeah. like, hey, I need you to, you know, hold it down for me while I take the LSAT and then come back and help determine, you know, the guys are going to be brought into the fraternity. It was, it was a crazy time. Yeah, dude, it's mayhem. Uh, for those that aren't in Greek life, <laughs> Rush Week is absolute mayhem. Oh, my gosh. It was, gosh. Crazy. It was, yeah. it was crazy. Just having to do that prep while at the same time, you know, trying out for diff and a lot of things. It was, it was for sure a lot. But in terms of what went into figuring out that process, again, it was my own research. I took a, uh, a LSAT prep course called Test Masters which was the best decision I made during that time. Um, when the way that they break it down is, you know, you start out on the first day, you take a diagnostic, which is basically a practice LSAT. And I took that, did better than I thought I would, but definitely nowhere close to what I need to get in order to get into a UCLA law or some of the other schools that I got into. Um, and so, you know, took the, I believe, an eight week course, mm. uh, going to the classes in person, and, you know, they really brought my, my score up to uh, allow me to, you know, ultimately get into the schools that I did get into, luckily. And so, you know, once I took the LSAT, I uh, shifted focus to preparing my LSAT or my law school application. And what that looked like was obviously having a killer personal statement, uh, a killer diversity statement, and then just any other, you know, random essays that each individual law school asked for. And so really from... I'd say October of my senior year until February when I started applying to law schools. That's really was just me perfecting my craft in terms of the story I wanted to tell and my personal statement and diversity statement. Right. Um, because I knew that, that you had to have the best possible story to tell, you know, your what you the kind of person you are and the kind of person you bring to their campus in order to have a good shot at, at the schools. And so I spent a few months, you know perfecting the personal statement, uh, applied in February. And then I think I heard back from my first school uh, by the end of February. And first school was Pepperdine, of course. Oh, uh, huh? Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, first school was Pepperdine to get back to me. And then after that, the the sentences just started to roll in. How did you decipher to which school, like which law school is best for you? For sure. So in terms of the schools I applied to, um, I was fortunate enough to, based on my LSAT score, get a lot of uh, application fee waivers. And so at that point, it was really just a matter of I might as well apply to the school if I don't have to pay for the application. Right. And, you know, just give myself the chance to, you know, decide from a, a wide array of schools as opposed to just knowing like, OK, I only applied to one or two and now my options are, are very slim. And so I believe the schools I applied to were. Uh, UCLA, USC, Pepperdine, uh, 
Columbia, Stanford, NYU, Duke, uh, Georgetown, and I think that's it. Whoa. And so (laughs) definitely, definitely. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to get into pretty much all of them. Um, The only two that I didn't get into were uh, Stanford, Columbia, and those are waitlist. And so it, it really was just a decision of, okay, now I have, you know, five or six schools to pick from. Uh, which school allows me the the best opportunity to get to where I want to be. Um, and so UCLA, they are number one when it comes to their entertainment law program. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, being in Los Angeles and, and all of the alumni that come through UCLA, uh, they really were just blowing every school out of the water when it came to that aspect. Uh, obviously, there are other schools that were higher ranked, right? NYU was a top five school at the time, I believe. Duke was a number uh, nine or 10 on that list. And so they offered more prestige, but in terms of what offered me the best chance to succeed as an entertainment lawyer, I knew UCLA was the, uh, was the pick and they offered me a a pretty good scholarship too. So it was like a no brainer. Another question I had to ask was how did you adjust? So what was life like adjusting after post-grad going into like UCLA law? How, like, what were the main shifts or the main changes and what, what kind of like, like, I guess shocked you the most. You're like, I did not expect this. Oh, that's a good question. Um, a few things. So in terms of just the campus, right? Pepperdine is isolated. It's in Malibu. There's not much around it, right? As opposed to UCLA, which it's in Westwood and it has kind of a, a college town type of feel. Mm-hmm. And so I will say it was refreshing to have that change of pace coming from Pepperdine and, you know, really just just being stuck on campus for the most part in terms of what you can do. Obviously you can go to uh, Santa Monica or Calabasas or even go to LA, but you know, that's, that's a far drive from Malibu. Um, so being in use at UCLA and really having access to a lot of, uh, you know, Los Angeles I didn't have before. And that was just a, a great uh, refreshing feeling that I, I wasn't used to. Um, in terms of what shocked me the most, I think just the, the nature of law school. So, I, I did very well for myself at Pepperdine academically. And so I always prided myself in being a smart person. Uh, but law school is just a, a different breed. <laughs> I, I will say that law school will challenge you in ways that uh, at least I didn't imagine. Um, you know, coming in, you think, okay, I'm going to study the way that I always studied for law school exams. I'm going to prepare for classes the same way I always prepared. And that does not get, it, it might get you by for some people, but for me, it didn't, um, you know, just first day, the, the professor saying, okay, so we need you to read uh, these three cases by next class. And I'm like, okay, like three cases, that's not too bad. But then you sit down and you realize how long it actually takes to get through a case. <laughs> and so there were times where in my first year, I remember spending like three hours trying to get through just a few cases. Because, you know, one thing about the legal profession and and case decisions in particular is there's a lot of legal jargon and they tend to complicate things that, you know, could easily be simplified. And so trying to weed through all the complicated language, then, okay, I don't know what this word means. Let me go and look it up. And then still not knowing what it means in the context of the sentence. uh, I think that was just the biggest shock for me, just, just that adjustment in terms of having to figure out a different way of studying. Um, different for, for preparing for class and 
knowing that um, I had to get comfortable with the feeling of not knowing everything. Right. So uh, another question, kind of what I want to ask, too, was are there any myths that you kind of or you you heard like from, you know, outside sources like, oh, law school is this or law school is that be prepared for this. And then you got in, you're like, this is nothing what I thought it was going to be. Like, are there any like myths, uh, I guess, that you, I, I guess, bust for us or like, like stuff that's actually true, what they say about law school and then stuff that is completely just like false from, from your perspective, your experience? 100%. So prior to law school, I, um, I read one book in particular, and I think the name of it was like 1L, uh, like the story of person who went to Harvard Law School or something like that. And in that book, it almost talked me out of not going to law school. Just see, just reading the stories of the person who went to Harvard, and you know the competitive nature of law school. Right? I think he had an anecdote where um, someone basically was ripping pages out of a book in the library so that you know his peers wouldn't be able to read that chapter. Just, just crazy stuff, right? Things that are just unnecessary. And so going into law school, I kind of have to brace myself like, okay, you know, be prepared to worst case, find a book somewhere else because people might be ripping pages out of the one in the library and uh, just knowing that it's super competitive and that really wasn't my experience at all. Um, I think some that might be particular to the law school that you go to. Uh, so at Harvard, you know, it very well might be that way just because it is such a prestigious school and, you know, it tends to attract a certain type of person. Um, but at UCLA was an environment that was a lot more collegial uh, and collaborative. And there, there were competitive moments, right? And some people that took it very seriously. Uh, but in terms of, you know, that fear that I had coming into it where I'm like, you know, this, this might get ugly. Um, that wasn't my experience at all. You know, for the most part, people were uh, great. People were uh, more than happy to, you know, help you understand something, both if you were their classmate um, and professors, you know, as opposed to, you know, going uh, into it with the expectation that professors are going to call you out in class and make you look stupid or, you know, any of that craziness that comes with the myth of law school in general. That wasn't my experience. But again, that might just, just be because I went to UCLA as opposed to another school. Yeah. So now going to the workforce or I guess your past experiences. So if you could kind of dabble in or talk about that. Um, what kind of work experience have you had? And also congratulations on graduating law school, by the way. That's a, huge, that's a huge step up. So now you just joined a new law firm, a law firm, correct? And then how's that experience been now going from your second, uh, I guess, grown up education, if we're going to count college first, right? Your second, your second education through this, yeah. um, through law school, and now you're in the workforce, now in the real life. How's that in terms of adjusting? And then that whole transition from you study for two years, you're ready for it. And then now you're going into exactly what, what you want to do. And it's been like a six years running. Yes, yeah, it definitely is a crazy experience and adjustment for sure. Um, in terms of my past work experience. So at Pepperdine, um, I kind of made a goal of myself to just get as much entertainment experience as possible, uh, which was partially why I joined the student programming board, right? Just having that uh, experience of playing the concert and, and dealing with the contractual side of, you know, go, negotiating with uh, the artist that comes and performs and stuff. Um, but in terms of like internships in college, I, uh, I worked at MySpace in their creative development uh, department. Yeah, I know it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, because MySpace would transition from like a Facebook to uh, like a music, um, I guess, right, app, right. application, right? 
So at the time, they were really trying to reinvent themselves and be the uh, the hip social platform. Um, and so I was in the creative development uh, de- department after my first year at Pepperdine. And that was cool, just seeing the things they were working on, uh, helping them plan you know, certain events that they were trying to get going. Um, but then after that, in my uh, junior year, I worked at Epic Records as an A&R intern. Um, and for those uh, for those listeners that don't know what A and R is, it stands for Artists and Repertoire. And typically, in every record label, uh, there's an A and R department, and they're responsible for going out and finding talent and then signing them, right? And so, the uh, for Epic Records, they have artists like Travis Scott, Fifth Harmony. Uh, they had Michael Jackson, um, DJ Khaled, just a, a lot of prominent artists. And A and R department was pretty much responsible for you know, finding a lot of them and, and getting them signed. And so that was cool working on, you know, some of their licensing agreements and, and the things that uh, were coming through that department. Um, and so those are like my two primary entertainment focused ex- uh, job opportunities while in college. Uh, so then in law school, after my first year, I uh, ended up working at Directors Guild of America uh, in their legal department. And so that was cool just seeing the uh, things that they're working on in terms of, you know, obviously they represent, uh, they're the union for directors. And so uh, making sure that directors are getting compensated how they should be and that the working conditions for directors were fair and equitable. And that's something that um, I really was participating in. Um, and so that was a great opportunity. And then with law school, something that I didn't know just to kind of, you know, pull from, the, uh, the prior question, there's a process called on-campus interviews or OCI for short. Uh, and, and what that means is you basically go to a hotel and there are going to be you know 50 plus law firms running out hotel rooms and you interview with however many decide to select you for one of their slots. Um, and you, know, you get those interviews, there's about a 20 minute interview for each firm. Then you get a call back if you're fortunate enough. After the call back, you interview with, you know, maybe like five or six attorneys at the firm. And then they decide whether or not to give you a job offer. And that job offer is good for the summer after your second year of law school. Um, if you do well enough while you're working in your second year with that firm, then they decide to give you a full-time offer for after you graduate law school and pass the bar. And so that was, I, I worked with my law firm after my second year of law school, uh, did well enough that they gave me the full-time offer. And then that's why uh, I returned to the firm uh, after I passed the bar. Uh, so that's really just like all of the different types of experience that I had to get to this point. Um, in terms of the adjustment, it definitely is one just because, you know, I'm 25. Um, so I'm pretty young just to be in the legal profession in general. Uh, I, I skipped second grade. And so I was always young for my class generally, right? I was young, younger than all my friends at Pepperdine uh, and then definitely younger than all my friends in law school because most people take uh, gap years. And so my friend group, you know, I have a good friend that's 28, a good friend's 29 and another one that turns 30 next month. And so it's, it is an adjustment, an adjustment because I'm working with people that are significantly older than myself. Um, and then like having secretaries or paralegals that, you know, or like two or three times my age that, you know, I'm asking them to do things. It's just a weird position to be in because I'm like, you know, technically I have more authority than, you know, 
a normal 25 would have, but it's just, it's, it's a weird feeling for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in the position I'm at and I'm, I'm happy with it. Nice. And I want to talk about also, cause you talk about the bar exam and I guess I, you explained it way better than I would, but bar exam pretty much gives you the right to practice law within that state. So if you want to practice in California, you have to pass the California bar. If you want to practice in like Kentucky, where I'm from, you got to pass the Kentucky bar. But, um, how was the, I was preparing for the bar exam for you. And I was, it would you say the same kind of like vibe as in taking the preparing for the LSAT or is it a whole different, um, like genre itself, like a whole different game? It's a, a whole different game, language, sport, all of that. Um, you know, the crazy thing was I was supposed to take the bar exam in July of 2020. Um, it's only offered twice a year. So February and July. Um, and so obviously in February, I was still in law school, but graduated in May. And typically you have from May uh, to July to study and then take the test. Um, but because of COVID, things, you know, definitely took a, a different uh, direction than initially uh, anticipated. And so the bar exam ended up being pushed from July until September, and then from September until October. Um, and normally the bar exam is in person. You go to the uh, Pasadena Convention Center, uh, and you pack into one of their large rooms and take it with, you know, thousands of other people, which is nerve wracking in itself, right? Just having to type away um next to people that you know are also answering the same questions like man did i i'm not writing as fast as as that person you know it's just a weird competitive feeling but uh it was all virtual due to the pandemic and so uh having to you know wait for my opportunity to take it was tough in itself right because i initially started studying for it in may and so having to study from may until october was you know tough because with the bar exam it's one of those things where you really just have to cram all the information into your head and you memorize it just for the purpose of spitting it back out. And then you pretty much forget all of what you learned. Um, and so having to basically have that way of thinking, but for, you know, several months, it was just a, a weird experience. Um, with the California bar exam in particular, uh, there are multiple sections, right? And so there's a multiple choice section uh, which normally was uh, normally is 200 multiple choice questions uh, for the version that we took because it was virtual. They condensed it to 100 questions, um, and then usually they have five essays uh, where it can be on any number of subject subjects. And then there's a performance test, which is basically they give you a library of uh, a fact pattern, uh, makeup cases that they created. Uh, different documents and you have to prepare a legal document based on what they ask for, right? So you might be, you might get asked to write a legal objective memorandum or like a persuasive brief or a letter to a client and all that is based on, you know, the, the information they give you right then and there. Um, and so with the, the, the California bar exam, they basically say you can be tested on, I think it's 14 different subjects. Um, but you're not going to know what the subjects are until, you know, each essay question is in front of you. Um, and so having to memorize basically 14 subjects and, and bodies of law and not even get tested on all 14, it's a, a weird test, right? It's, it's not like the LSAT where, you know, okay, I'm, I'm memorizing these skills, right? I'm learning these skills to help me uh, do well in this test. So logic games, 
okay, if, if I think this way, I'll be good. Or, you know, uh, reading comprehension, just making sure your attention to detail is great. With the bar exam, it's like you're actually learning and, and memorizing actual subjects. So, you know, you have contracts, uh, civil procedure, uh, torts, wills and trusts, community property, constitutional law, criminal law, and, and so on and so forth. And so you're really just trying to cram all that information into your head and hope that it sticks. Wow. <laughs> would you say um, yeah. that, would you say taking the bar was more stressful or would you say LSAT was more stressful? Definitely the bar exam. Bar exam? For sure. There's no question about that. Um, and then they make you wait so long. So I took it in October and found out results in January. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. And so normally you take it in July and find out in November. And so it's still a long time. But, mm. you know, just that process of really just psychoanalyzing everything that you did, like, oh, man, I, I could have done better on this essay. And did I do well enough to pass? And, you know, how many multiple choice questions I get wrong? Um it's just a, a crazy process that they put you through, but every lawyer has to do it. Um, right. I'm glad that, that I was, you know, one of the, the few to be able to pass. Um, but I'm definitely glad that's behind me. So you started your 2021 off, right. Is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. On a good note. So going into now, cause you got a full-time offer, right. From your firm. So kind of, I guess kind of explain. So what do you do now? Like what, in, in terms of your entertainment law, like what, um, what's your role? Um, what and I guess what to like what does it consist of? What are your what are your main responsibilities? Sure thing. So I'm currently in the uh, commercial litigation practice group for my firm, um, and what that entails is I do pretty much a, a wide body of, of things. So I do a lot of entertainment work in terms of um, you know copyright infringement, defamation uh, claims like that, but I also do uh, more general civil lit matters like. Uh, breach of contract, um, you know, breach of guarantee, uh, product liability, things like that. Um, and so, you know, while I do entertainment work, I, I, it's a good thing that I also get to, you know, gain experience in other areas of law that I might not uh, have had otherwise. And so uh, really what my day-to-day -day is like is, um, you know, and on any given day, I'm, I'm drafting a motion or, you know, a reply brief or, or something. Uh, to just further the litigation. And, and, you know, it's something that I didn't know going into law school that lawyers are either transactional or litigation. And there's some that do both, but like, there's a difference. Um, I thought that like lawyers just, they lawyer, right? They just, just, yeah. just you know, <laughs> do what I mean? lawyer things, right? They, they do lawyer things. I didn't know that there was an actual breakdown of things. And it was like, no, this is transactional. This is litigation. Um, so, uh, just to, to help anyone who's listening, transactional, you know, those are the lawyers who are negotiating contracts and, you know, are drafting contracts and, and that side of things, right? Litigation is really like when someone is sued, they bring someone like me in to then represent them uh, in that lawsuit. And so, you know, the good thing is most cases settle, right? It's, it's very, uh, very few times does a case actually go through to court that you have to argue in front of a judge and a jury, but uh, for the most part, cases settle. And so really my day-to-day -day is dealing with that, you know, pre-trial phase of, okay, you know, this lawsuit was brought. Now we have to file an answer um, or we have to file like a motion to dismiss or things like that. And then just drafting, you know, those motions, researching uh, the, the case authorities that are going to help support our propositions um, and really just the pre-trial phase of, of trying to get 
these cases to settle, right? Because at the end of the day, no one wants to go to trial. Um, it's expensive. It's, it's time consuming. So, you know, any case that is able to uh, be resolved early on, you know, that's a good case. Right. Uh, if you're even allowed to say, like, have you have, have any like crazy cases popped up that I guess the public would be aware of that that you've personally had to deal with? Um, or that you're even allowed to yeah. say, I guess, <laughs> disclose that information. Yeah. Yeah, so we're we're definitely going into uncharted waters right now. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think how to word it in a way that does not violate confidentiality. I, I will say that I did work on a case that was brought against my firm's client, um, and the plaintiff was a celebrity, and so it was interesting, like basically just attacking all of the claims that the celebrity made in the motions that I was, I was drafting because, you know, it's, it's, it's cool, right? Like you obviously going into the position that I'm in now, you know, you, you already are aware of different celebrities and, and whatnot. And so it's cool to be like, Oh, I, I know you in this light already, but now you're bringing a lawsuit and I'm able to, you know, kind of just get rid of it and, and, an interesting way. So right. without uh, without going too much into it, that was one interesting thing is just, you know, having to represent a client uh, in a lawsuit that was brought by a celebrity. Nice. Okay. And then, uh, what, so what's the name of your firm again? Uh, Ballard Spar. Ballard Spar. And mm -hmm. um, I just want to ask like now, because what, you're 25, Omar, you just started out, you're just finally getting into it, but what are your main goals in terms of one, the entertainment industry and for yourself, like what are your career goals, life goals, what's something that's going on right now that you're currently like developing in and I guess growing to become the better, like a better version of yourself in your own life and your career as well. For sure. So in terms of career goals, um, first and foremost, obviously just becoming a better attorney. Um, I'm a junior associate and so I'm very young in my career and I know I have a lot to learn and acquiring skills and, and the necessary knowledge to just be a great lawyer um, is one of my main priorities. In addition to that, also just acquiring some transactional skills. So even though I'm on the litigation side, I personally feel that if I have a, an understanding and awareness of what goes on on the transactional side, that only helps my case as a litigator because you know I know you know, what to avoid and, and really how it even got to this point, um, you know, in terms of the contracts that uh, these these entities are signing and, you know, knowing, okay, like this provision led to this litigation in the first place, um, this lawsuit in the first place. And so I think acquiring those skills is, is a main priority, but um, just generally, you know, I, I'm very interested in the entertainment industry, uh, both within film um, and music uh, and television, right? And so, uh, one goal of mine is to pursue uh, production um, on films and uh, television as well. I have a friend who uh, went to law school with me, currently is at a law firm as well, but he does screenwriting on the side and, and he is an amazing screenwriter. Um, and, and that's the cool thing, right? To you know be able to have a colleague who is in your journey with you, right? And, and understands your day to day, but also understands the, the passions that lie outside of uh, law. And so you know, hopefully getting some of his projects produced and, you know, find a, a home on a network or, you know, a film studio. That's something that I'm really interested in, in pursuing and um, just really just trying to uh, get a, a, a wide uh, 
body of experiences within entertainment. You know, I'm, I'm on the entertainment law side, but uh, that's I don't like to call myself solely an entertainment lawyer just because I know I have so much more to offer to the world. And so, um, you know, in, in increasing diversity within the, the film industry, um, you know, getting more original, diverse films produced, um, that's something I really want to see through. And, and the good thing is I'm young, so I have a lot of years left to yeah. make sure that happens. I guess what we're talking about in terms of hobbies, like any like hobbies that you develop, obviously through COVID, like that going out because everyone in general was just had had a lot of more free time to find out more about themselves. <laughs> but I guess during the COVID era, sure. we were able to kind of get into stuff that you didn't think you'd be interested in. Because I know you said right after college, you started getting to working out, like working out was part of your, I guess, part of your life, getting your mind off and kind of more like, I guess what I got from it was like a meditative thing for you. Like you needed that time to do your own thing and work out, but have you developed, Absolutely. I guess, and I guess increased your, um, hobby spectrum? Yeah. So, um, in terms of hobbies I built during COVID, obviously working out was one that I already had, had built up. Um, and it was tough not having access to gyms during the pandemic. Right. And so mm -hmm. figuring out ways to still get the feeling that I have a working out in the absence of a gym and, uh, running was something that I picked up. Um, hiking was something that I picked up just, you know, getting outside and then having that experience with nature and really just being able to uh, enjoy being outside um, and, and the few opportunities that we, you know, that people did have during the pandemic uh, because most of our time was spent at home. And so uh, hiking was something that, and running was something that I just didn't necessarily anticipate me enjoying. Um, I always felt like, you know, when I would have to run for different sports and stuff like this, this is not fun for me. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, I like running in the context of like, you know, when I play basketball and you're going up and down the court, but not when I'm running outside and it's like, okay, I have three miles left. Um, right. And so, you know, it's, it's something that I actually ended up enjoying, um, surprisingly enough, uh, in, in terms of other things, um, riding was something that I got into. Uh, I, I have a, um, an article coming out in the UCLA Law Review uh, within the next couple of months that you know I, I helped um, that I worked on during the pandemic and just perfected to you know send out to um, different publications to try to get uh, published and and I I know law reviews are not something that I was aware of prior to law school and so uh, just for context basically every law school has um, a legal publication where they publish articles written by uh, professors practitioners judges um and then a select few a few by students and so during the pandemic i uh, worked on an article that um really was kind of a uh, a passion project of mine um and so you know that's that's something that i necessarily, necessarily didn't have the time to uh, work on prior to just because you mm -hmm. know law school is um time consuming in and of itself and so having that additional free time then you know set aside a couple hours to do some writing was a uh, enjoyable experience for me can you find the article anywhere online or is it about to be published or? Yeah, so it's about to be published, um, I believe next month actually. Uh, and, and so um, it's going to be on uclalawreview.org, I believe is the is the website. Um, and so the article is uh, called uh, The Absent Black Father, um, The Cyclical Nature of Fatherlessness, uh, Race and Child Support and Welfare System. And basically what the article is discussing is how um, typically fatherlessness and the concept of you know a child growing up without a dad is associated with the black community um and in light of that it's important to not look at it as 
okay, a dad leaves the home and that directly causes issues within the black community, like, you know, teenage pregnancy and crime and things like that. In fact, it's more of a, a cyclical, a cycle, right? Where, you know, the child support and welfare system actually in a way perpetuates this, this stereotype and forces fathers out in the home. And so it was cool because I was able to work on something that, um, you know, I, I had a couple classes in law school that touched on race and its uh, intersection with law. And so it was cool to just pull from those classes that I had and apply that in my own writing. Um, but then also it, it somewhat pulled from my senior thesis at Pepperdine, which was a documentary that I made um, about, you know, people at Pepperdine who grew up without fathers. Um, and it was just always something that I was interested in and, and the uh, idea of, you know, conquering that stigma and succeeding in, in, uh, in despite of that. And so, um, yeah, the, the article should be published within the next month or so. Uh, and once it is, you know, I'll be, I'll be posting all about it because, yeah, that's definitely one of my uh, one of the biggest accomplishments from the law school. As you should, man. As you should. <laughs> um, but for the documentary, that this is new. But like for the documentary, can Pepperdine or I guess anyone that's listening right now, can they have access to it? Is it on YouTube anywhere, or are you on Pepperdine's side by chance? Or is this more of like a you just showed it for because that was your thesis project, and then that's it. Like no one else gets to see it. Yeah, you know. So I, the the short answer is, I only showed it for my thesis, and I never posted it. Um, but I will say that a lot of people after I showed it, it was like, yo, like what's next with this film? Because it's great and it's important and, you know, you need to do something with it. I just never did because, you know, right after college, I, I went to law school and so I never really revisited that. Um, but you know, that, that might be something that I end up, you know, putting up on YouTube or Vimeo or some other platform online for people to see in conjunction with my article since you know they are you know tied together in a way um but yeah the the short answer is it's not online yet okay some more it's, it's still in the vault just like the michael jordan documentary <laughs> man it was it was in the vault exactly exactly and then um i guess I, I guess one last serious question before i go kind of more into personal and just kind of i guess be more fun with it with the interview but um Almost like for going through like where you are right now, I get, or I guess anyone that can relate to the students that are listening, I just wanted to ask you, what advice would you give yourself back then? Or so I guess someone in your shoes, what's something that you would be like, you eat like in order to succeed and get to where you're at, like, I wish I knew this, or you do need to know this. And um, kind of just want to hear your thoughts and pick your brain on that. Yeah, um, man. There are, are, are a few things that I think are important lessons I've learned along the way. Um, the first one is even when people look at you crazy or tell you that, you know, you might not be able to achieve a particular goal, move forward anyway. Um, and I say that just because there were a lot of times in my life where, you know, a, a guidance counselor or a professor or, you know, any number of people that, you know, you, you look up to in a way um, along the journey of, you know, going through high school and college and whatnot, uh, a lot of people, you know, said like, oh, maybe you shouldn't apply to this school because that's a reach or, you know, maybe you shouldn't be a lawyer because you're unlikely to succeed in that profession or, you know, any number of things that really could knock you off track and discourage you. Um, and, you know, that's, that's not unique to law, right? There's, there's a lot of things where, 
you know, even if you have a, a business idea that you want to move forward with, or, you know, if you want to become a doctor or just any passion of yours, uh, there's definitely going to be at least one person at some point who uh, says that you probably won't be able to achieve that goal. Um, and to those people, I say, I'm gonna do it anyway, um, and I'm going to prove you wrong. And I, I think that if I had to describe my life up until this point, um, proving people wrong would would definitely be a a good just some um, summary of it. You know what I mean? Um, because according to people, I, I shouldn't have been at Pepperdine or you know at UCLA Law or you know in the position that I'm in now. Um, and so it really was just a matter of you know succeeding against the odds. Um, and so that's that's one thing that I will say, but also in conjunction with that, um, just the idea of that you belong, right? And, and and I say that because there were a lot of times where, you know, I was in a room with um, people that were all older than me, right? Only being 25, that means I, I came into law school at the young age of what, like 21. And so, you know, being in a classroom with people who are 30, 40, you know, 50 even, uh, who are coming in with years of work experience and, and, you know, interesting resumes where they worked for, you know, the Obama administration or, you know, just any number of things that are like, wow, I, I don't have that just coming straight out of Pepperdine, you know what I mean? Um, I think it's very easy to uh, get in a, a sense of imposter syndrome, both because, you know, for that reason, or even as being like a, a minority in a room full of, you know, people who don't look like you. Um, I think it's, it's very easy to feel like you don't belong or to feel that um, you you shouldn't be there. And again, I think to my younger self, I would just say it's normal to feel those feelings, but don't let that distract you from the goal because you're there for a reason. Um, and, and so, you know, even having those feelings of imposter syndrome in law school, you know, I, I knew like I was accepted there for a reason. Uh, I have a scholarship there. So like clearly the, you know, uh, admissions office and administration, they saw something in me. And so I'm, I'm there for a reason. And, and I think just extracting that principle and, and applying across the board, um, anytime that you feel like you shouldn't be there, you should. Did Pepperdine provide any resources to you that you, I guess, took, took full advantage or other students should take full advantage of um, right now? Or I guess um, in your time? You know, it's, it's sad. Pepperdine really didn't provide many resources, at least for me, right? Because I, I, I don't think many Pepperdine students go to law school, and I might be wrong in this, and it might be a generalization, but I know at least with my graduating class, there are only like two or three of us um, who were applying to law schools. And I didn't know many people that graduated before me that also went on to go to law school and stuff. And so maybe it's just, you know, me having a limited awareness of other people that were going through that process just because of my friend group and their people outside of that. But Pepperdine didn't really have many resources in that regard. I did uh, deal with one individual um, in the career services department um, who is just helpful in the sense of, you know, me writing a personal statement and then having a, another set of eyes to look at it and kind of critique it for me. Um, but even then, she I don't think she was really experienced with the whole law school application process. Uh, and so really, that was just a matter of me doing my own research. Um, I will say that, you know, Pepperdine 
because it's a, a school where you have to make the most out of it. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that I did do during my time there. Uh, I think finding that one professor or, or one, you know, uh, administration member who really just takes a liking to you and, and can kind of be a, a mentor of sorts, uh, that was important, right? And, and I think that's a resource that Pepperdine didn't necessarily intend to provide, but something that I pulled from my experience was, you know, being able to have the uh, two or three professors that I could lean on and say like, hey, I know you have never seen a law school application before. And I know that, you know, this is this just a different language perhaps, but I trust your opinion and I trust your, you know, uh, your knowledge and your experience. So please just look at my personal statement and any critiques you might have, right? And so, you know, for me, I know that uh, Joy Carr, um, she was a major resource and a major mentor for me. I want Pepperine and then definitely going through that process. And, and, you know, she was one of the professors, if not the leading professor that was responsible for kind of the, the uh, process of me just maturing as an individual while Pepperdine. Um, and so just being able to lean on her during the uh, law school application process was helpful. Uh, Rosalind Satchel was another professor that was super helpful. Um, and so really just finding those individuals at Pepperdine that you can lean on. Um, I think that's the, the best resource that I can suggest. Now I want to go into more because I asked about you this. Hopefully you had some time to think about it. But being a film study major and a film enthusiast and someone who's in entertainment law and wants to have, you know, become um excuse me going into like production for film i asked you this so what are your top five favorite movies and why like i, I guess as of recently like all time and then within like the past five years okay yeah you, you know you you gave me the uh the notice beforehand but i must admit it's still a tough question to answer <laughs> fair enough you know, yeah just, just, i've seen a lot of films and so having to limit it to the top five is tough but in no particular order top five films of all time, I will say Inception, Do the Right Thing, um, The Dark Knight, um, Rebels Without a Cause, okay. and I might have to go with Godfather. The Godfather? Might have to go with Godfather. Okay, nice. And also big Christopher Nolan fan then. I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. So what so what are the what are the well, I guess what well, I guess the top movies that kind of spoke out to you recently then? Yeah, so I will say that when looking at a film and deciding whether it's a good movie, I, I kind of have like different criteria, right? And like a, a movie might be great in one category, but uh, might not necessarily be in, in another. And so in terms of like recent films, I have to have Avengers Endgame in there, right? Just because that was that was our childhood. You know what I mean? Right, like right. We, we grew up with Iron Man, Captain America, and just really being able to see the culmination of 10 years of storytelling um, and storytelling that was done well, right? That, that was something that um, I, you, you don't see, you know what I mean? You, you, we have yet to see a universe of films where it's like 20 plus deep and each one connects. Yeah. They all tie in, they all tie in with each other. It's ridiculous. Right. Like even the films dropped, you know, in in the early two thousands, they still connect in some way. It's it's crazy. 
And so I think just that uh, ability to connect stories that Marvel has done, um, that's something we haven't seen before and I have to applaud them for that. Um, similarly, I, I think Black Panther has to be on the list too, just because, you know, we, it was the first film that, you know, I saw people that looked like me uh, be superheroes, right, on a grand scale. Um, and, and, you know, you see, obviously, throughout um, throughout time, like, we've been able to see, like, different comics, right, where you know, there's been, like, a Black superhero or, like, an animated, you know, uh, cartoon or, like, even, you know, uh, uh, seeing, like, Wesley Snipes and, and Blade, right? But, you know, it, it, nothing has been to the scale of, of Black Panther and, you know, the African ties that they brought in and, and the grandiose storytelling that they're able to pull off. Um, I think that was just, that was a cultural moment, right? And so, you know, having that uh, be uh, a part of the past five years was an amazing thing to see. And, you know, rest in peace, uh, Chadwick Boseman, because he, you know, he's, he was an icon for that, for sure. Um, in terms of other films, uh, you know, I, in anticipation of this question, and I knew that I would blank on a few, I actually pulled up a list. Uh, <laughs> I pulled up a, a short list just because I knew I, I might forget. Uncut Gems. That was. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That was a great film. Uh, you know, I, I remember, um, you know, growing up on the, on the East Coast, seeing the, the Celtics play a couple times when it came to, to Philly and, um, you know, just being a fan of that, uh, that big three with, with Ray Allen and Paul Pierce and, and Kevin Garnett. And so just seeing that story told, but in connection with, you know, the Diamond District in New York, and it was just a great, a great film. Um, I know that some people it might be thrown off a bit and it's like a weird, like storytelling method that they use, but I don't know. I was a fan of it. I was, I was a fan of Uncut Gems for sure. Um, I think that, let me see, Judas and the Black Messiah, that, that okay, recently it, came it, out. It just um, came out, yeah. Yeah, it just came out a couple months ago. That was great. Great acting. Um, great screenwriting. Just, uh, I think it was a rare example, at least um, recently, where it was a great combination of acting, uh, sound editing, visual editing, uh, cinematography, just, it, it was a beautiful film. Um, and so I, I'm interested to see, you know, how it does at the, at the Oscars coming up. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I definitely have to put that in there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm blanking on, on a few others, you know, Get Out was, was an interesting film too. It was, it was cool to see just, you know, being able to see that side of things within the horror, or the horror genre, just because, you know, it, it usually typically horror films suck. Just right. Like, <laughs> at least, at least to me, right? Like usually, you know, you're either extremely scared, but you shouldn't be, or like it's borderline funny. Um, and so, you know, to, to see that it was like it was scary, but in an unsettling way, right? Like, you know, it shouldn't be scary, but it is. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think Jordan Peele is is a a, a genius and a mastermind for that. Man goes from Keen Peel to shooting thrillers, like right, <laughs> and then right. Mad TV before that too. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? Oh my goodness! And then also, you just got into photography, right? We were talking about this too before on phone call, but um, you're a big uh, Fuji film guy. But how'd you get into photography? 
Yeah, so my uh, my pops actually got into photography um, kind of randomly, right? Like, I, I don't think it was something that he necessarily grew up with. Um, but, you know, he got a camera. I think he had some friends that did photography. And so he just started, you know, dabbling in it a bit. Um, and obviously just seeing that, I, uh, I kind of just wanted to follow suit. And so he got me my first film or my first camera, which was a Sony at the time, I believe. Um, and, you know, it, it, it did its job. And obviously at, at that time, I didn't really know what I was taking pictures of, right? You know, I, I was in middle school, but I didn't have an idea of what is a good photo and angles and lighting and all that, you know, and looking back on some of the pictures I did take, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just heavily saturated and the contrast is off. But, um, you know, just, just seeing him get into photography uh, was something I was interested in. And so, from there, just just building upon it, and I kind of went through phases where you know I, I was really interested in black and white photography, um, and all my photos were black and white. Uh, and then I got interested in just street photography, um, and just you know any any little thing that you know I, I might see just walking down you know the street. And so there are a lot of times growing up on the East Coast where I'll go to New York and, and walk around like Soho and Times Square and stuff, and just you know see New York is an interesting city, right? So you're going to see something. To, to take a picture of. And so, uh, you know, that's, that was the great thing about just experimenting and finding myself within photography is just like what, you know, ultimately I'm interested in. Um, you know, unfortunately, because I've been inside for most of the past year, I haven't really been, been able to, you know, do a lot of photography. Um, I initially had been planning a, a pretty extensive uh, international trip for after I took the bar exam. Um, and so I got a camera in anticipation of that uh, Fujifilm X20, I believe. Um, and so I was really excited to, you know, break that in and, and get some some great pictures. And then, you know, COVID had different plans. So whenever the uh, the next international trip happens, I'll, uh, I'll have to bring that on and get some good shots. So what is the next inter um, international trip going to be? You know, that's a good question. So I, I initially was planning a, is usually when you take the bar, you take a trip called a bar trip. And, you know, some people go to, uh, South America, some people go to, you know, Africa, some people Europe. Um, my trip was going to consist of Morocco, uh, Morocco, Ibiza, Florence, um, and I think Egypt was thrown in there. It was honestly just going to be just hitting a bunch of spots. You Mediterranean know I mean? area then. Exactly, exactly. Like a lot of spots I haven't been to before. I've been to Ibiza, but for a short time. Um, but like Morocco and Egypt were going to be, you know, just, just new experiences and then a new experience that, you know, really was looking forward to. Um, and I had to throw Florence in there just because, you know, that that's always going to just have a, a part of my heart. Um, so whenever the next trip happens, I, I think it will definitely be, you know, something to the tune of that. Maybe not as ex extensive since I'm working now, but uh, definitely going to have to to hit Morocco at least. Something that's like long overdue because it's been anticipating you've been working pretty much your butt off the entire time. So you need some exactly. time to like kick back and relax. Exactly. But I did want to ask one last question before we like end the episode. But um, I saw awesome this too in the last episode and I'll ask you, but what's your, like, I guess your favorite memory or your handful of favorite memories that will always resonate with you being at Pepperdine? And Ooh, if you want, oh, okay. sorry, if you want to give shout out to people too that are part of the memory, if you want to, if, if you know, if they're even going to listen to, just shout them out as well. Yeah. Um, favorite memories. So, like I said earlier, 
the board and Segep were like my two mainstays during my Pepperdine experience. And so any favorite moment of Pepperdine has it, it will definitely be from one of those two. Um, I think number one on the list would be participating in Sai You Think You Can Dance and AKA is a Step Your Stroll Up. I don't know if either of those are still in existence, you know, at, at least prior to COVID, obviously, but those were great philanthropies, um, number one. And then, you know, they raise a lot of money for their individual causes, but it was just so much fun getting up there and dancing with the guys, you know, shout out to, to BJ Stillwell, Josh Barrientes, like those, those two, um, we, we acted a full on stage. <laughs> and and I, I often think back on, you know, those moments being able to go through the process of like chore choreographing um, our dances that we end up performing and then ultimately getting on that stage. So it was just, it was a lot of fun. Um, and some of the, the most fun that I had while in college and, you know, obviously it's hard to recreate that, you know, when everyone goes their separate ways and I'm a lawyer now and it's just like, you don't even have time to just go somewhere and, and dance, right? Like I, I don't have time to go to, you know, Millennium Dance Complex and uh, take some dance classes, but uh, those are just, just some really fun moments, man. Um, I think number two, study abroad experience in Florence. Um, it wasn't my first time going abroad, but it was my first time being there for such an extended period of time. And so being able to just be one with a new city and, and really fall in love with Italian culture and cuisine and, and the people over there and uh, travel too, you know, I, I love traveling. And so just the whole Florence study abroad experience was uh, I think once in a lifetime. And so any, it, I, I will say if anyone ever has an opportunity to study abroad, do it. Um, a lot of friends I have who who didn't take that opportunity uh, regret it just because, you know, this most likely you'll never be able to be in another country for, you know, six months or however long uh, unless you move there, right? And, and it's tough to move to another country, you know, in light of the roots that you most people have in, in the States. And so I think uh, study abroad would have to be number two. Uh, and then number three would be planning the spring concert. Um, I would say my senior year, uh, my senior year, because that's the year that we uh, kind of revamped the spring concert a bit, you know, prior to uh, that year, I think it was called like Huma Liwo or something. It's, it's like, uh, it's it's a, a Pacific Ocean reference um, from like the Chumash language and stuff. And, you know, it was it was cool to like go through the process of just giving it a facelift in, in a way and, you know, making it something that at the time that I felt was, you know, uh, interesting, right? And, and, and great for the Pepperdine community to be able to uh, relate to the spring concert, right? And, and so um, I don't know if the name is still there, but at the time we named it Pacific Sounds. Uh, and and it, was, it was just cool, you know, going through that and planning, you know, obviously the, the artists that we would have. Um, unfortunately, we, we didn't get the artists that uh, we had hoped for. You know, there was a long list of uh, potentials in there, but, um, you know, getting the artists and then having, you know, all of the, the fun attractions, the Ferris wheels, the, you know, food trucks, um, the art displays, you know, that was just a, a, a great display of creativity, um, not just for myself, but from, you know, all the people that were involved. And 
uh, I think that has to be on the list for sure. Definitely. And um, I guess before I sign off and everything like that, I just want Omar, thank you for your time. I appreciate your energy. I appreciate you coming on and one sharing your wisdom and then reminiscing with us as well. And I guess everything in between and just, you know, giving your time and energy and just being on the show. And I just want to say I greatly appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I, I want to ask, do you have any lasting impressions, any comments? Yeah. You know, honestly, not really. I feel like we uh, we hit all the things that we had a lot yeah <laughs> yeah you know just i, I feel like hopefully I, I left some words of wisdom that will help at least one person but um you know i, I again I, I know i told you this offline but i love what you're doing with this i, I think it's great i would think uh pepperon students need to hear more from their alumni and it's a great opportunity to be able to see you know what alumni are doing um today you know what i mean and, and so i it's, it's something where at least when i was a student there um, I didn't really have a, enough exposure to the people who you know, had graduated, you know, before me. Um, and so it's, again, love what you're doing with this, man. Um, it's a great idea. Appreciate it. And also for all the listeners or anyone that wants to reach out to you, is there any platform, social media platforms, or maybe like a LinkedIn that um, you would like to leave that they can just reach out to you that I'm allowed to leave on like Spotify or pretty much like, like just leave a link so they can contact you? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram. Uh, LinkedIn obviously is, is a lot more professional. Um, my name on there is Omar K. Rambert. Uh, but in terms of Instagram, you know, if, if anyone, you know, wants to see what's going on in my life or, you know, when I, I start posting about the article that I mentioned earlier, any of that, um, you know, feel free to, to check that out. It's a uh, weirdo vision. Um, weirdo is in like, you know, you're a weirdo vision as in, you know, like an eye test. Um, and, and so, uh, it, I know you're probably wondering how I got that name. Yeah, um, <laughs> I would do want to ask that. Fun it, fact, yeah. I've, I've been on Instagram since like the early days prior to it really being like a uh, a platform for social media. You know, initially it was just for photographers, right? And so, you know, I asked my dad who was into photography, what's a good uh, Instagram name? And he's like, weirdo vision. Just like, you know, the fact that you have like a unique pers perspective, unique vision. And um it's something that, you know, I, at the time, I didn't really have any other ideas. So I was like, yeah, I like that. And so I put it down and it stuck. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of just, uh, it's, it's been there for so long that I don't really want to change it. Right. Um, I, initially, I, uh, I wanted to change it to just my name, Omar, with two R's. Uh, but someone, unfortunately, snagged that name. So <laughs> if, you're, if you're miraculously listening, uh, Omar. I'd, I'd like that name back please <laughs> but yeah again omar man thank you for your time i appreciate it and um to all listeners thank you for listening in and stay tuned for more so i want to say thank you omar of course